All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, I have Weasel Walter, composer, multi-instrumentalist, and improviser, as well as archivist. Weasel is a man of many talents and has an insane output. Um, looking into doing this interview, I started to dive into his discography, and there's like 200 records. So, I didn't get far. He has a new album out with the Flying Ludenbachers, Negative Infinity, as well as some stuff in the works with Retrovirus, Lydia Lunch, who, uh, if you haven't heard that interview, go back and check that interview out. That's where this interview spawned from. Lydia's guitar player is Weasel. Um, I saw them in Cannes, and they tore it up. Weasel's something to see live. This guy was... Uh, he, they played at the Buzzbin, and the Buzzbin's kind of a... Um, as far as where the stage is and where the monitors on the side coming out are at, or it's, it's like it's a tight pack a little bit, and like he was just all over the place. That guitar was flying, the monitor was flying. It was an absurdly cool show. Um, what's so cool about Weasel's story is the band you fall in love with that gets you into playing music. You you worship, you idolize this band, and then eventually to be able to be in that band and take it to the next level because of the dedication and amount of love you have for that music that band made, that's like the dream, and that's what Weasel's living right now. Retrovirus is on tour. They got a couple more dates, um, so make sure you check out Lydia Lunch and everything she's got going on as well as what Weasel's got going on. If you go to Weasel's band camp, a lot of, uh, a lot of his albums are there as well as office site UG UG explode U G E X P L O D E a ton of cool stuff to dive into the whole retro virus experience live is something you got to see um they played at in Canton for um Femfest in like it was a Thursday night and we you know waiting late it gets to be like midnight you know it's Thursday but they get out, Lydia gets on there, and man, they're just so cool. They're, everyone in the band, Tim, Lydia, Weasel, they're all just super nice people. They put on a crazy show, and you got to see them. If you can see them, if they're rolling into your town, go see Lydia Lunch and the Retrovirus. And with that being said, if you guys can like, subscribe, rate, review to the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to amazing guests and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Weasel. Producing the rooms, noise gates and shit. That's Dude, <laughs> you don't even know. It never ends. You know, I just did a sound check where I'm like explaining to the sound guy, okay, man. So like, mm -hmm, I, I, these days I put my amp on the side of the stage because every time I put it facing forward, they never put me in the PA. And that's not good because then most people can't hear me. And he's like, uh-huh. So I like do my thing and we're doing sound check. And I took the liberty of walking out in the audience and I'm basically just like playing all open strings and I can't even hear it. And I'm just like, dude, put the fucking guitar for the PA. Did we just talk about this? I mean, he's not a bad guy. He's just yeah, like doing yeah. his job, but it's like the production of reality never ends. That's my point. You know, you've always got to keep, you've always got to keep proofreading and, you know, making sure your message is heard loud and clear. That is beautifully said. The production of reality never ends. That's badass. Yeah. Was it uh um? Did, was there issues with the sound at in Canton? Cause like I swore at one point you were gonna chunk that monitor. No, that's shtick. Oh okay. <laughs> that's just at the end. That's just like uh, well, I might I might have actually like pushed off the stage or something by it accident. Did. Yeah, yeah. It fell. That's just that's just chaos. I mean, I don't I don't plan that stuff, but. 
that is the element in, of chance in my performance because I don't phone it in. You know what I mean? And obviously I'm pretty active on stage because I'm trying to raise hell and things come unplugged and things fall over and I deal with it. That's how it goes. Um, you know, that's part of what I'm trying to portray with my performances is this, mm, I don't know, danger that I prefer to have in a performance. And my attitude is to set the example. Right. No, I think that's, a, that's, when you're doing because with a with a kind of improv, not that that was improv, but like uh, right. uh, I know improv is kind of your uh, uh, forte as far as uh, I mean. Well, I man, since I since I met you <laughs> in Canton, I've been trying yeah. to go down the the uh, the rabbit oh, hole, boy. which is which is weasel and damn, the two hundred albums. Yeah, there's not enough time. Not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the only reason why I said it like a week or two out. I'm like, oh, I gotta dive in, and fuck, there's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, well, you know, I've so far my output, I've, I'm on about 215 releases, <laughs> many of which I mixed, mastered, laid out, uh, released, distributed, accounted for, and etc. myself. So, yeah. And what I was gonna say, looked at looking through a lot of these projects, it says mm -hmm. founding member, or like or, or like on your website. I was like, damn, you're you're starting all this stuff. Um, so in a what kind of like where do you get the drive initially to take everything in your own hands and run with it? Uh, it probably has something to do with my working class roots, and the fact that I grew up having to do everything myself <laughs> you know i mean to yeah. put it to put it bluntly um i had to make my own fun uh, i didn't really have endless amounts of money like some of my friends did for every toy or thing they wanted so i had to often cobble together entertainment from very pathetic varied sources uh i did a lot of drawing because there were things in my mind I envisioned that I had no access to or couldn't make happen. So I, I would try to, I believe that my whole leaning towards art was trying to transcend the mundanity of my upbringing and not taking no for an answer. And if someone's not going to do it for me, then I'll do it for myself. And I wound up just you know, as as a young man going like, well, I know how a record's supposed to sound. And clearly this engineer does not. So I guess I have to mix it, you know, et cetera, yeah. and so on. And then it's like, well, you know, this layout doesn't look good. I guess I have to do it myself. Uh, this mastering job wasn't very good. I, I'll, I guess I have to master this and, and so on and so on. So, I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's a surplus of artists and not enough demand to meet all the surplus. So as such, um, if I don't do what I do to put myself forward, I basically don't exist. And right. I do exist. And I refuse to, you know, seeing some of the fucking losers that go so far in the arts with so little talent and, um, Especially if they're assholes too. Uh, I always figured 
pricks and I'm going to do this because because I feel like my voice should be heard because I have a different viewpoint and I think it's got some kind of clarity and and truth and purity and um I think it's once again trying to uh, um, present an alternative and set an example, you know. Right, and I definitely think you're doing that, and I think that's important. Thanks. And I, it, it, it's so DIY punk rock, like badass attitude and mindset to have that and be able to do it and pull it in, like just to be able to, like, okay, fuck, what's mastering? Uh, okay, here's that, you know, what I mean, just to like be yeah. willing to do that next painstaking step to get the vision out and get it out how you want it. Cause like, well, it, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, cause it's hard. It's difficult sometimes when maybe I'm the guitar guy. I don't know nothing about no sound engineer. You know I mean, just mm -hmm. like in the willingness to try to figure out what that is and, and mold it to what you need it to be like, uh, right. I, cause I also, I'm a strong believer in like having the person who knows how to do it and working with the team. Uh, right. I, 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 if you got a guy who can do it, work with that homie. But if you can't and you need to get it out, or if he's not getting it the way you need to get it, I think that's a that's a beautiful mindset. And like, it's not, it's not that it's like a it's uh, putting anyone down, but it's putting up what you need to put out. Sure. Well, you know, I, I sacrificed a lot, and I put a lot of energy and time and blood and sweat into trying to manifest my vision, and it's been a long journey with many um many struggles and obstacles in the way so in a way i've always my motivation has been pretty pure because it never got easy i always had to try and it hasn't really changed that much i still have to try like i still have to try to get the sound guy to put my guitar in the pa <laughs> you know after 35 fucking years you know i still have to like make sure things get done right just because you know i'm i'm so prolific that i don't really need to just put stuff out for the sake of it right it's not it's not necessary so as i get older my mind turns more towards you know making sure things are done right and there's quality because there's so much effluvia out there and so much of it is drac and the good stuff gets lost in the shuffle i think and I don't know. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's just these, the Zen of trying to be awesome or something. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And like, it's, it's that mindset that keeps it going. And like, I, I think it's to, to build upon that, uh, um, because there always, it, is it quality? Is it quantity? But like, and it's also about trying to like, cause looking at your catalog, fuck, you know, that's a lot of shit. That's a lot yeah. of records put out. So like, yes. but also I imagine each time you've approached a new like, okay, I mastered this one and that one, and right. learn it's it's slowly a learning process of that. So oh, yeah, and like, cause it can't be like a, a the, the absolute best it can be at every time. It's just gonna be no. the best it is at that time. So I'm like, extremely self-critical, and well, I am critical of others, but I'm also extremely self-critical, and because uh, like you say. Um, I'm not OCD or something, but I do, I am self-critical and I always think I can try to do better and I can hone things and I can push forward. And that to me is important. I'm not, I'm not hard on myself. Like, Oh man, I suck. I need to be better. Yeah. But you know, I've done a lot of cool stuff, but mm, I, I, my motivation has always been pretty 
pure and I guess I'm just self-critical enough that um, I see a lot of medi mediocrity and that's like the example to fight against in my own work. <laughs> and there's so much of it, it makes it kind of easy. I just look around and I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, why do people bother? You know, like, yeah. obviously my art's not for everybody. It's very um, specific in many regards. And to, to most people, it's probably worse than, um, you know, getting a molar extracted with a sledgehammer. But, you know, that is also the point of what I do. What's, what I find interesting about your work is it's it's kind of like it's not as like a if if you look like a pop song it's pretty it's pretty uh what's the word I'm looking for like m like uh micro like all the 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 uh profound things that can be found would be uh or like really really small not like because in the great the the overall context of a pop song right if we're talking mm -hmm. music. Um, is the mini hooks right that are gonna stick out? No, okay. one, no one's gonna have like a pop song that blows your mind with form, or blows your mind with like a like a, mi a macro, like big picture. Like uh, that's uh, not that's not true at all. You don't think so? Um, I think that I think from my uh, bitter old man perspective, I don't even give a fuck what's going on in pop music at this point. But I did grow up listening to it, and I'm it's. You know, like rock radio of the 70s and 80s is a big part of my DNA. And I think that it's still there, even as yeah. avant-garde as I get, because there's a bloody-mindedness to my work. Like I, you know, there's kind of like a farmhand kind of like willingness to get your hands dirty in my work, which I'm really proud of. That's kind of speaks to my roots once again. But I think that pop music has gotten willfully... Um, stupid like even beyond the wildest dreams of pop music <laughs> i mean you're talking about a paradigm where there's like one producer who produces every million selling record and he uses the same template you know pro tools template to make every single song i mean it's it's, right. it's asinine you know and it also insults the listeners saying oh gosh you know you don't want to have that chord change that might be a little too interesting but, you know, classic rock and, you know, going all the way back to like the 60s, there were interesting chord progressions. There were interesting structures. There were odd meters. There were unusual timbres and instruments. There were all kinds of cool things that seemed to have kind of been weeded out of pop music. And now it's sort of about like vocal affectations and generic chord progressions and, that's, and production. It just doesn't really... Not much there for me. I think it's a generational thing. Um, right. I'm, I, if I'm part of a status quo, I guess, you know, that stuff was an influence on me. But, I, I, you know, in a weird way, I think of my own music sometimes in, in rock and roll terms, like classic rock terms. Like a lot of times some of my weird avant-garde stuff, um, some of the inspirations are – come from the dumbest places. I mean, you'd probably be surprised, but that's how inspiration works. I right. mean, whatever right. inspires you is useful, you know? So I have a lot of weird inspirations. Um, <laughs> I can hear one song by a band I absolutely hate and love it and focus on one element of it and then maybe like pluck it and use it for something else, you know? Like there's a lot of stuff like that going on in my head at all okay. times. 
yeah. think I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. And I guess more of what I was trying to go at was like what you said about modern pop with the vocal aff- affectations and like a pro uh, mm-hmm. producer um, influenced uh, songwriting. But yeah. um, so and that you know that makes it's very kind of bar talk in a way like to take like a um, I guess in this case uh, you know folk tune and make it into a bigger piece. Um, sure. So is a uh, is Kiss the gateway drug then? Yep. How'd you know? <laughs> I just sussed that one. Uh, did some digging, man. Well, given <laughs> I was born in 1972, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, what is Kiss? Kiss is punk rock about blowjobs, basically. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're about as dumb as it gets. Now, that's a dumb that I can groove on because there's uh, – one, it's ridiculously funny to me because it's so asinine. Um, as a kid, I didn't appreciate how boneheaded it was till later on. I, I think I liked the overall bombast of it, and I wasn't particularly keen on the words like I thought they were cool or anything. Um, in fact, most people's words I don't think are cool at all. I think they're just mouth noises, and I don't want to know what they're saying. But um, I liked the bombast. I liked the superhero aspect of it and the flames and the noise and all that stuff. So, yeah, that was a pop manifestation of a lot of things that I went on to do myself. Uh, even like, you know, hilarious parodies of that form. Like I was in a glam rock band called Vanilla that was basically just like <laughs> a, a budget bin kiss, like a wish.com kiss or something like that. So, you know, there is room for, for humor in my music. And a lot of times the humor is black humor. So it's not easily detected, but yeah, kiss, it was like, Kiss was really important. Uh, FM radio, just in general. I started buying records when I was pretty young, uh, with money I made mowing the lawn or taking out the garbage or what have you. And I, I started buying records when I was in sixth grade. And then I was a lonely dork, and I used to spend a lot of time doing research in the library. And there were a lot of books about the punk rock movement, for example, you know, in the early eighties when I was a kid and I would look at this stuff and say, man, this looks awesome. Like, uh, I love this. I got to find out more about this stuff. So eventually I got up the nerve to buy some of those records and they sounded as good or even better than I thought they did. And then from there, it just all ballooned out, you know, like the no wave stuff was kind of the avant-garde of punk. And then I got into free jazz and, modern classical music and all kinds of weird stuff. And then I got into death metal in the nineties and, you know, it's been, uh, uh, I was always into, I was always greedy for more information, more music. So I went in pretty deep and all these things crunched up and digested. That's what my style is. That's what my music is. Well, I I think it's definitely heard with the, with the, the death metal and the free jazz and the no wave aspect of it for sure. And it's interesting. It makes sense. It all has to come from one spot. So one thing it's kind of interesting, um, you, you start uh, at the very beginning, you started talking about how you uh, dove into like drawing and expressing yourself that way to kind of make your own fun. Mm-hmm. Um, when did Jack Kirby start to influence you? Because you also brought up a thing with a kiss being kind of superhero esque. That yeah. stuck out. So, were you into like, was was drawing and expressing yourself that way? Um, the the kind of like, the predecessor to everything that came after. 
Yes. In fact, it, it predated music. Um, once again, this was a way of entertaining myself with, on a low budget when I was a child. And I liked comic books in the sense that it was an alternate world, not like the one we're in. And I could identify with the visuals and the superheroes and the costumery and all the stuff. So, I mean, I just started trying to draw as a kid, but yeah, Jack Kirby, I always joke that Jack Kirby's one of my biggest musical influences, although, you know, clearly he's not, doesn't make any music, but his visual style, his sort of um, caricature of the human form is very angular and bizarre to me. And, and I feel like that's what I'm doing with music, which is why I call him a musical influence. Like, I, I think I'm trying to look at music through this Jack Kirby lens in a strange way. I, I find that's really interesting. Cause like um, Jack Kirby in his later, the later parts of his career, um, right about when he like left Marvel and went to DC, he, uh, mm. he was doing all this collage form of art, right? Sure. So he yeah. was like, uh, he would do comic panels, but the backgrounds would be these really high, like uh, uh, hyper-focused, like detailed collages made from stuff, yeah. and like they yep. would they would make this vast like space background, or or like uh, there's a a panel of like some I can't remember a a character that's a planet, and the planet I can't remember the the spe uh, right. specific name, but but the the point being, he's taking all these things and putting it together to make like this you know, way like how you're interpreted as character drawings, like this angular, weird, like mesh of all these other things. And as a bigger picture, you see this whole thing. Yeah. And um, what, did you, did you dive into that stuff with him? Cause like, yeah, I was, I was kind of a Marvel snob okay. um, towards the end. I mean, once I really got into music, I ditched comic books and, and to be, uh, full disclosure, I did rescue them from my parents' basement a few nice, months ago nice. where they had been sort of sitting for the last 30 odd years. Um, I hadn't bought a comic since I was probably 15, 16 years old. Um, but I kept them in my parents' house for safekeeping. And now guess what? They're worth a lot of money because I kind of knew which ones to get even when I was a kid, which is kind of vindicates my taste. I'm always looking for vindication. I'm always looking for validation that i was right about my cultural touchstones so when it comes down to like cold hard cash that's a pretty good validation but yeah. i was really but i was really i was a marvel snob for some reason i know he did cool stuff with dc because he's jack kirby but i was really into the the eternals because i liked the idea that there were tons and tons and tons of protagonists that all had these really uh different distinctive um, costumes and powers and looks and names and all this stuff. And that, and in a way, that's an analog to all my work in like the improvised music scene because I've worked with so many hundreds and hundreds of people, but a lot of the people I've worked with have these really distinctive characters about them sonically or otherwise. And I just really cherish that. To me, all the musicians I've played with are like the Justice League of the Universe or something like that. That's badass. That's such a badass way to look at it. Because like, I've never said this before. This is like a new shtick. Like you, it's funny you brought this up because these aren't rehearsed lines. These are kind of I'm just putting this two and two together now and, and thank you for asking because I never I never saw it quite this way before we had this discussion. Beautiful. Um well you know that's the, that's the, that's what we're here to do, right? Have a conversation. Um and so far so good. <laughs> yeah. Well I mean I, I, I personally also I uh, draw a lot of influence from comic artists and like uh 
recent forever i've always been uh, enamored by uh, kevin eastman and like his whole diy method from uh mm-hmm. bringing the ninja, the ninja turtles to like this like huge successful thing just hanging out with his friend making a joke and mm. the kind like the kind of irony of like something so absurd can be taken so seriously eventually uh um, yeah did so having this knack for like collecting and like seeing the value in something like comics at a younger age like that did that inspire your archivism like uh later on cuz you've been archiving all these no wave artists and like bringing the light a lot of groups that maybe wouldn't have been brought to light mhm yeah um you know there's a lot of talk these days about the autism spectrum and if you listen to everybody, everybody's on it. I don't really right. even understand what that means. But when I was growing up, that wasn't a diagnosis of any sort. That didn't even really – well, I mean, it existed, but it wasn't thrown around with the levity that everyone does it now. Basically, now, if anyone's actually interested in something, they're automatically autistic, which is ridiculous. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's, it's, it's basically an – it's an epithet, you know, Um I'm not all up in arms about it, but I have to wonder if I'm there on the spectrum someplace because I always had a real knack for lists of things and names and dates and details and all that kind of stuff. And when I was a real little kid, I would read the comic book price guide from front to end, which is basically just a string of numbers. Right. Um, When it got to, you know, when I was a kid, and I started getting into music, I would dutifully go to the library, check out a bunch of books about music, and then I would sit there with these little notebooks and copy down the names of every album uh, some group made and write down every person who was in it and their instrument and all this stuff. And yeah, that was where my archive thing got started because I just got fascinated with the the statistics behind things I liked. And in a way, I think that was the young me trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? You know, and one way to do things is to watch somebody who's doing it already, maybe successfully or maybe not, and analyzing it. So I think my analysis of music had a lot to do with rationalizing my own wants and desires in reality as far as being a musician and going like, okay, I love this band. How did it work? How did they make this band? How did they make these records? What did they do? Of course, you'll never be that band. The paradigm shifts. You can never go back in time. You can't be anybody else. But at the same time, well, you can. You have something to learn from what other people do. And I think that was just a practical, you know, it ties back into the DIY thing. It's like, well, Black Flag put out their own records. Why can't I? Right. Black Flag booked their own tours. Why can't I? You know, da da da, and et cetera, and so on. So, you know, when I was a young kid, I was like, I was finding out about this stuff. How did this work? How did these bands do this? How do you get a record out? How do you go play a show? Even, I don't know. I was always, um, I was into the creative side, but I was also into the practical side. I was into the history. I was into being part of a continuum. Mm. And that's still important to me. That's definitely profound because, like, uh, it's weird. I think the generation, like, before the internet, when all that information wasn't just, like, available, 
Right. You know, like, oh, you want to know who was in Black Flag? Uh, Google Black Flag. And, yep. like, because I remember, because um, uh, I'm 30, I remember going to the library and finding, like, books on just, like, you, you'd have, like, that big old thick rock encyclopedia. And that's mm-hmm. how you, that was the beginning of, like, oh, who's a who's an Aerosmith? <laughs> you know, start from the yeah. rip. And, like, exactly. kind of diving into it. Um, yeah. So, uh to kind of pick into that or wait before i move on to that are you excited about the internals movie are you hip to the marvel stuff mm, you know did it become I just, kiss when I, got my, when I got my comics back i felt sentimental for a minute and i yeah. just kind of looked at him i was like god i like i like this in theory but i'm so over <laughs> it uh you know in a weird way i feel lucky that i can get so much out of music by listening to it. Right. And I feel like not everyone has this ability to some people. They hear music and yay, they like it. And it sort of goes in one ear and out, out the other. I guess I'm able to sort of analyze it and scan it in a certain way where I can process it in a very specific way, which is why I can really get off of music. But I don't feel the same way about visual art. Hmm. I know some people can look at a painting and they can really like scan it and get all the stuff out of it that I can get out of music, but I can't, it's like, I love visuals. I love visual art, but I can't, I can't get it inside of me somehow. I can kind of look at it for a minute and go cool and walk away and it's like gone. So I think everyone's really different in this regard. I agree. You know, some people have this for food or some people have this for sports or whatever, you know, it's, it's all good. But, uh, um, where were we going with this? Uh, well, on, <laughs> on, uh, on what you said, I, I, I agree with that a lot, actually, because, like, I think yeah. one that may be just kind of hyper-focused on the thing you're trying to express yourself with, because mm-hmm. uh, when I look at paintings or hang out with friends who, uh, because I, in Cleveland, I work at this uh, art gallery called Negative Space, okay. and uh, so I deal with artists all the time and, like, see them uh, do their thing and, like, try to, like, someone will explain, in the foreground, this is happening, even the concept of what negative space is, like, and I, it's profound, but I didn't see that at first until you explained it to me. It, with music, I've spent so much time trying to pick it apart that I can kind of hear with, where something's going. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think maybe, so I, I really relate to what you just said there. Um, to go from Jack Kirby, can you tell me about Jack Ruby? <laughs> well, Jack Ruby was one of these names that I found in the margins of books, and supposedly it was somehow related to the early days of the no wave scene, but no one had ever appeared to have heard them. And they certainly didn't have any releases and there certainly weren't any tapes circulating Um, for decades. This was in the back of my craw because it was part of this no wave continuum that I was real interested in. And uh, finally a friend, an acquaintance of mine, uh, got a hold of me and said, Oh, I see you're interested in Jack, Ker- uh, Jack, Ru- sorry, Jack Kirby. I am uh, Jack, Ru- uh, different Jack, Jack Ruby. And I said, yes, I am. What's the deal. Uh, the one connection I had was that the bass player, George Scott was also the bass player for the contortions. Mm. Other than that, I got nothing. And this guy, Gary, who lives in Florida was George Scott's roommate back in the day. And he somehow knew that George's old girlfriend, Leslie, who is now deceased, well, George is also deceased, uh, had a tape of Jack Ruby. And I said, oh, 
Oh boy, here it comes. And it took a long time to kind of negotiate and do all the stuff, but I got to transfer the tape and believe it or not, it sounded way better than I could have ever imagined. And I said to Gary, I said, man, we, we got to put this out. And Gary's very devoted to the memory of George Scott. And he had a very sentimental attachment to the whole thing. And he worked it out with people. We found the singer, um, the guitar player was long deceased. Um, and basically we had, uh, we had approval to put out this release. So in 2011, I put out the first Jack Ruby recordings on my own label. And then it kind of got hijacked by other more prestigious labels, but not without credit or anything, but you know, it definitely, once, <laughs> once I unearthed it, it was kind of uh, out there in the public domain. It was, you know, it was, has its own life now. So that's, that's fine and dandy. Um, you know, I'm not a gate troll. I don't need to, uh, you know, protect my, my pretty ring, you know, like Gollum yeah. or something. I'm really into people helping people find out about stuff, especially if it's stuff I'm interested in. I don't, I'm not a bridge troll. So for me, it was just, there was an excitement to having, had this thing on my radar for so, so long. And then, wow, somehow I was in a position to unearth it and, and, you know, spread it to a wider audience. So that, that feels good. I don't even need credit for it. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. It's just about keeping these things alive. I, I really think it's important for me as a musician to give credit to the people who created the culture, especially the culture that I'm into. So to give back to that somehow, even in a meager way, is important to me because I want to be part of the paradigm, and I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be a gate troll. I want to, I want people to know about cool shit. People need to know about cool shit because most people don't like cool shit. So you don't – you actually don't – it's really stupid yeah. to, like, hold it back because you think you're cool and you know about it. I don't, I don't, I'm not so sure that, like, tons of people do this. I'm making a huge generality or assumption, but – I definitely thought I was really cool because I knew about cool stuff when I was a young man. And now I know nobody cares. It's, you know, <laughs> the people that like it, like it. The people that don't, don't, whatever. If if somebody likes it, welcome to the party. If you don't like it, well, next. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I definitely think it's a, still a true statement as someone who works with kids and seeing how they interact when they think they have something that's cool and other kids mm. do not. Um, <laughs> but um, so that that is still a true statement. And it's what it's funny. What ends up being cooler is after you kind of have that art or that that music or that book or whatever, and you have that to yourself for a long time. It's cooler to find someone else who's had that to themselves, and you get to share like, oh yeah, and like to to be the person to unearth it and find it and bring it to the the table and keep like, because primary sources, especially for movements like no wave and punk and like. Uh, th th fill in the blank are so important and like any like it's exciting as it is to get into it to find a new fresh source like that especially a primary yeah. one whoa that's cool and to be able to share it with everyone that's even cooler well i've been able to i've had the fortunate um pleasure of interacting with a good deal of people whose records i grew up listening to and i always felt like that was how it was supposed to be 
I felt like I wanted to be part of things. That's why I did so much stuff. It wasn't because I was just trying to make so much stuff. It's because I had a lot of ideas, a lot of energy, and there were a lot of people I wanted to work with. And I guess I made a lot of opportunities for myself to do that. And, you know, like I'm on tour with Lydia Lunch right now. I mean, I started listening to Lydia's music when I was in short pants. I mean, I first heard of her when I was 13 years old or something like that, maybe even younger. And, uh, you know, it was just when the, when the, when the bat signal rang out, I was there to take the call and be your guitar player. And that was that. And this is nine years later. So, you know, that's incredible. It, it is. That's, that's like the, that's the dream. You know what I mean? The be the yeah. being the band you grow up listening to. Yeah. And also I like to think that, I'm pretty responsible for the success of this band because I brought this like real specific, very hungry technical ability to get shit done and get it done right. And, you know, like the, you know, the Lydia Lunch Retrovirus Band, as you saw, we're not phoning it in. No, it's it's like, it's a real fucking rock and roll band. And it's, it's always like that. The motivation's always there because we, we are that. You know, we have a chip on our shoulder. We have things we want to prove. We got a lot of energy and we're crazy motherfuckers. So we go out there and we do it like that because in a way we're trying to show people like, look, you want to do this, do it. We're doing it. You know, we're not rich and famous. We're just a bunch of schmoes that get on stage and go fricking nuts. That you put that in your craw, kids. Like, you know, you don't have to just stand there and stare at your feet. Like, there could be something more to it. You know, given I've been doing this forever, so I have certain superpowers that maybe somebody who's beginning doesn't have. But in, in a way, this is the cycle of inspiration. I mean, I can't play saxophone like John Coltrane, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but still, the guy, the guy kicked my ass to want to be a better musician and branch out creatively and stuff like that. So to to me, it's just about being part of a cycle of inspiration. And in a way, you know, something like Lydia Lunch Retrovirus, that is, um, being in that band is an act of defiance towards society. It's an outlaw band of rogues, you know, and we do, it is DIY. We do it ourselves. I mean, we have some help organizationally, but you know, we get in the van, we drive it and we show up and we rock and then we, pack it up and leave (laughs) and repeat (laughs) right but that's what's inspiring about it like uh, what you guys are doing is untouchable and capable only to you guys because you guys are you guys right but the idea the inspiration that uh i can do a thing and and go at it just as as full-heartedly is is up there and like i i I find the inspiration cycle i think is so important because and especially if it's reachable is you can do it too just do it and like oh man um so i find it interesting because the retrovirus or hold on let me let me backtrack a little bit sure Um, thing going back to like being into teenage jesus and the jerks what was Mm -hmm. it like and i've heard through other forms and i think this is very important to you is um you describe uh them having as like a um there's an organization to it and like these ways that uh, uh you analyzed uh teenage jesus and the jerks and i i think i heard through a con- sure. I- interview with you and lydia 
or you did a really good one where you interviewed Lydia. Maybe that was it. But you, you had a way of theorizing, or not, uh, sorry, analyzing right. how this music works. Um, yeah. and I wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit. Please do. So what? How can you? How do you start? Like it's uh, not to like. Are you looking at chord progressions? Are you analyzing with the bass? Are you looking harmonically like that? Are you looking? All of it. Okay, well, anything, any yeah. aspect of it, any any aspect of any art is um, can be analyzed if you have the language to do it or the knowledge of whatever that parameter is, and. You know, I mean, it's funny because I've heard people say things like, like it's just chaos or all made up. And it makes me laugh because I have the, I have the analytical power to see that basically Teenage Jesus and the Jerk songs were played pretty much the same way in terms of structure every time. There might be some variations like, Lydia's specific tones chosen in solos and things like that, or the arrangements did drift because she used non-musicians in her bands. And they would often, when, when one of the bass players was replaced in Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, usually the bass lines changed because the new bass player didn't have the ability to figure out what the does? exact bass line that the last guy played from a tape or whatever they used. So, right. I mean, the whole thing is funny because it is folk art. It does have some drift. And it, it did evolve, but you know, if you look at Teenage Jesus, it's just like any song structure. You can break it down into A, B, A, B, or, or whatever. You know, verse. It's not going to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus per se. But I mean, you know, if you take something like Orphans, you know, you can count out how many bars this thing does this, and you can count out how many bars this thing does this, and usually they play it the same every time. And this thing happens here. So I mean, that's just music analysis of anything. Okay. As, as far as the harmonic thing goes, well, you know, a lot of those songs have tonic bass lines. You know, there's not like a chord progression per se with most of them because a lot of her guitar playing were these dissonant clusters. Um, but, you know, if you want to go as far as counting the bass line as kind of the root notes of the compositions, they're usually pretty dumb riffs, you know, that have... Yeah two or three or one note in them. And, you know, once again, then it's like, well, what, what notes are Lydia playing? Well, she often, she intuitively created a very distinctive style and hierarchy for guitar playing. And it was, it's, it's awesome that an 18 year old girl did it. I, I love it. She's a great guitar player and I actually have stolen plenty of things from her. But, you know, if you, if you, if you listen to how she plays guitar on the teenage Jesus and the jerk stuff, there's like recurring things she does. She, her use of the slide, her use of these dissonant clusters with open strings and sort of, she has this way of picking where she would choke the strings and these really weird high squeaky harmonics would kind of come out of everything. And I mean, this is just all intuitive is she made her own system. Right. You know, she wanted to make these very um, uh, authoritarian statements. <laughs> yeah. And, and she basically <laughs> just used her sense of intuition, you know, like coming from her poetry, you know, like stuff like that. So, I mean, this is just, this is armchair analysis. It's, it's not real yeah. sophisticated stuff, but this is what I counter to people who think teenage Jesus and the jerks is random chaos. <laughs> Hardly. It's kind of the opposite of random chaos. But if people can't hear it, well, you know. 
Andy Weasel. Yeah. Hey, where's the car key? I'm going to talk while I go get my monkey suit on. All right. So anyways, that's that's Teenage Jesus in a Jersey. Lightly analyzed for you. I mean, I could okay. go into that further, but I feel like I think that's uh, been published, hasn't it? Right. Well, I just think it's an, it's important to kind of be able to start the tear apart what one seems as madness and see that it's not madness. It's it's calculated things, and uh, so that's why I was curious on your approach to something like uh, um, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. Um, yeah, but they, you know, you you could put that same kind of um supposition onto nature or anything else right. you know like look at fractals oh you know uh -huh. like there'll be self-repeating shapes da 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 they look like chaos but if you can you know you're talking about macro and microcosmos again like you were earlier um i don't know this is the beauty of uh biology and the, the natural condition is this kind of structure order from chaos I think Nietzsche might have said that. I don't read his shit because I don't really care. Yeah. But I think there's definitely a heavy metal band called that, and it's based on Nietzsche. So I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of there's all kinds of little avenues we can go down if we want to with this rhetorical stuff. For sure. Um, I guess uh, just a, a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. Sure. I really appreciate it. I know uh, you guys are. So where are you guys playing? Where are you at now? Uh, Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Okay. Yeah. Um. So what can you tell me about um, sound, the Sound Improvisational Collective? Oh, that's just an early attempt at doing exactly what it said it was. Um, There's a bunch of jerks uh, from my dorm making loud racket in the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my way of trying to, like, codify it and say, this is a group, this is a thing. You know, it's like an early yeah. step. I mean, it's the same shit I've always done, but that was... One of the earliest uh, examples, I suppose. And the keeping the narrative of the hallway, you lived with, or you had a landlord that was the hall monitor from the rock and roll high school <laughs> movie. I did. His name was Dan, <laughs> and he was. Uh, we were. I was a little starstruck at first, and then I realized he was kind of a slumlord that didn't really give a shit about me. So like that, that sort of faded eventually. But um, yeah. Oh, I mean. Stuff like that happens all the time. It's just, it's a wacky world. <laughs> That's so cool, though. Yeah, um, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, good, it's a good anecdote for an interview, that's for sure. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's a bummer he was a, he ended up being a jerk, but, you know. Well, it's crazy how small the world people, can be. A lot of people do. <laughs> I don't really, uh, you know, you, if people, I don't know, you know, I'm a... I'm sort of a guilty and to prove an innocent kind of guy um, as far as that goes, but <laughs> maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just in platitudes to be clever. I don't know. Was it? Um, one thing to kind of leave off on, Lydia sent me the um, the War Pigs uh, track you guys recorded. Yes! Uh -huh. Yeah, and I hear Lydia now. How's it going? She just said yes. Love you, my brother. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best. Great to have met you. Likewise, yes, likewise. What, what about war pigs? I whipped that thing out in an afternoon. That's crazy because like the the you you recorded all the instrumentation, right? I did. Yeah, it sounds fucking awesome. Like Thanks. Go, like, uh, it's one of my favorite tracks that we've ever done. Once again, I did what I do with a lot of things. I The best of everything. I analyze the original and really get into the guts of it and then modernize it and put my own twist on it, but still 
you know, making sure there's a firm nod to the original thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how I do it. Well, that was definitely a little weird thing about it. When Weasel sent me the compilation, yeah, and it was mismarked that War Pigs was 25 minutes. Yeah, I was like, yes, but it wasn't. It was a mismark. I'm like, that's some iTunes he, bullshit. If he did a 25 minute version of War Pigs, he's even more my hero than he already is. Well, but, the end could go on longer. Right? The whole thing could go on forever, if you ask me. Yeah, Lydia, that's curses and his version of she's so heavy. Was, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I just made a loop of the end of She's So Heavy by the Beatles because I wanted to hear it for 90 minutes. <laughs> Turned out pretty good. That's Some awesome. people think I, I – people are confused about that. They think I actually performed it, but no, it's just literally a, a fetish item that I made for myself. <laughs> That's awesome. Put it out there. I was going to say, I got that same – so Lydia sent me the file, and it was like 25 minutes. I'm like, oh, I need to set aside time to listen to this whole rendition. That's – an epic rendition before I write That's anything back to Lydia. Some kind of re-encoding, you know, glitch. That's all it is. It's funny because I took time to do it. And, like, I, I'm like, I had an hour. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this twice. I'm going to respond. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, it wouldn't play. I had to re-upload it, and it was, like, four minutes or whatever. And I was like. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Well, there we did an edited. There's two versions. The one right. that's on the compilation that came out is sort of the. Yeah, there's like a vocal only mix, and then there's sort of the long guitar solo we won, you know, that was out on the new compilation CD yeah. that we put out. So it kind of depends, you know, whatever. But either way, it's badass. And Weasel, thank you so much. I know you you, you got to go rock out. Um, good luck tonight. Knock out. Um, I do. And if there's anything you want to follow up on or have me follow up on, just get a hold of me anytime. Cool. Will do. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, man. I really enjoyed this. No problem, buddy. You're so cool, Dave. Thank you so much, my friend. I love meeting you, and I love the podcast. You're amazing. Uh, you're amazing, Lydia. Thank you. I love meeting you, too. Well, have a good, great show tonight, guys, and uh, we'll touch base soon. Hope right, to buddy. see you again, buddy. Bye. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. <laughs>